Welcome back, weirdos. You're listening to the third episode of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport. This is a podcast about strange and forgotten history in my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. My name is Chris J, and I write, produce, and edit the show. If you haven't heard our first two episodes, I hope you'll give them a listen sometime at allyallblog.com. Our first episode was like a weird Shreveport Grimm's fairy tale about a severed monkey paw. And our second episode chronicled the life of action movie director Andy Sedaris. You can find those episodes and more by searching for All Y'all Shreveport, wherever you get your podcasts. Our topic for this episode is the Elvis Presley swimming pool at Camp Forbing. This is one of my favorite weird little gems of Shreveport strangeness. And if you don't know about it, you're in for a treat. Please stick around. While this episode may not have as many like strip club ninjas as episode two or as much Sasquatch violence as episode one, I hope you'll agree that it's worth doing because it truly is a weird piece of Shreveport lore. So put on your sunscreen, pack up a couple of fried banana and peanut butter sandwiches, and grab a beach towel because we're about to cannonball into the third episode of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport. Let's head for the Elvis Pool. Camp Forbing was a 55-acre tract of land that was located at 9470 Ellerby Road, where the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana operated a wilderness camp for Shreveport kids beginning in 1940. The Y operated Camp Forbing for 75 years, and thousands of Shreveporters went there for summer camp, swimming lessons, or scouting activities. But this wasn't just any YMCA pool. As absurd as it sounds, The swimming pool at Camp Forbing in South Shreveport was paid for, for the most part, by a 21-year-old Elvis Presley. To help tell the story of how this happened, I've enlisted Winston Hall. Winston is a professional piano entertainer. He's a tour guide and a Shreveport music historian. He was kind enough to contribute some thoughts for this episode via voice memo because he's currently on an extended visit to his uh, childhood home in San Angelo, Texas. We'll hear from Winston right after this message from a sponsor. Hey folks, this is Chris. It's time for another message from one of our sponsors of this program uh, who helped make it all possible. This is Cole Sarton from Sarton Law Firm. His last name's S-A-R-T-I-N. And um, I was visiting with Cole recently and we were talking about how he kind of came to define himself as a lawyer, as an attorney. And if he had always wanted to do the work that he does now, here's what he had to say. Whenever I was becoming a lawyer, I thought I was going to be an entertainment lawyer because I worked in live music venues in Austin for for several years. And I said, well, I want to do entertainment law. But then I went to law school and I participated in moot court and mock trial. And it was so fascinating to me that I, I really fell in love with it. So... Now I focus on trials. I'm a, I love trials. I love to be in the courtroom. So I eventually found my passion, but it took a little while to get there. You can learn more about Cole Sarton and Sarton Law Firm at www.colesartonlaw.com. That's S-A-R-T-I-N, colesartonlaw.com. Elvis 
Elvis didn't just give Shreveport a swimming pool out of the goodness of his heart, which, now that I read it out loud, is a really ridiculous sentence. Elvis was contractually obligated to buy us this swimming pool. What I mean by that is he had signed a contract with KWKH, the owners of the Louisiana Hayride, and he owed them one last live performance. Organizers agreed that performance would be a fundraiser for the new YMCA pool. That final Louisiana Hayride concert took place on Saturday, December 15, 1956. If Elvis picked up the Shreveport Times newspaper that morning, he would have seen the headline, Elvis to gyrate here today. The fundraiser concert would be held at 8 p.m. that night at the Youth Building on the Louisiana State Fairgrounds. That building is now known as Hirsch Memorial Coliseum. More than 9,000 tickets for that night's show had been sold at $2 apiece. Though the Louisiana Hayride was usually broadcast from Shreveport Municipal Auditorium, organizers needed a lot more seats for this show. Presley had appeared live on the Ed Sullivan Show just three months earlier on September 9th, sending millions of young fans around the world into fits. Even though his career was skyrocketing at this moment, there was still this pesky matter of a contract between Presley and the Hayride. He couldn't just leave Shreveport whenever he felt like it. Elvis's dad, Vernon, had re-signed Elvis with the Louisiana Hayride in September of 1955. Per that contract, Presley was being paid $200 per Saturday night appearance, and he was obligated to be in Shreveport most Saturday nights. Much bigger paychecks lay ahead for Elvis, but he couldn't pursue them from the stage of the Louisiana Hayride. He had to free himself from that contract. That's where a guy named Colonel Tom Parker steps in. Parker negotiated a deal with KWKH, the owners of the Louisiana Hayride. He paid the Hayride $10,000 and agreed to bring Presley back to town at a to-be-determined date for a fundraiser concert benefiting the Shreveport YMCA. I asked Winston Hall to imagine what could have been going through a young Elvis Presley's mind as he pulled back into Shreveport on the morning of December 15, 1956. You know, I tell people when we talk about Elvis's time in Shreveport and Bossier City, you know, I point out to people that Elvis, when he first came here, he was not famous. And it's really hard for us to even imagine a universe where Elvis isn't famous. But when he first came to the Hayride, he could wait in the concession stand line for popcorn, just like everybody else. And I actually met a lady one time who stood by him in line at the concession stand. And this would have been, of course, when he, like 1954. And the lady said she, uh, she had a popcorn bag, but she had Elvis sign her hand. And in retrospect, of course, she wished he would have signed the popcorn bag. But of course, nobody knew what was coming, including Elvis. And so if you look at the time frame, when he showed up in, in the fall of 1954 and could wait in the concession stand line like a normal person, and then fast forward just two years later, to where he was skyrocketing in fame to the point of just absurdity. There were there were networks of teenage girls coming the city trying to figure out where Elvis was going to stay. I mean, he was living that paparazzi rock star lifestyle. And this all happened in a span of two years. So, you know, I like to put myself in Elvis's shoes and just say, he probably was as wide-eyed as anybody about what was happening to him. And I can only imagine how much that is to process for such a young person 
because he was still a kid, basically, early 20s. And he was having to process all of this change. And then in the middle of all that, he's got to perform and put on a show and maintain this personal um, level of normalcy while living a life that was anything but normal. The overwhelming majority of fans who packed into the youth building that night were screaming teenage girls who were really only there to see Elvis. But keep in mind, this was not an Elvis concert. It was a Louisiana Hayride showcase featuring an Elvis appearance in the middle of the lineup. Now, if that sounds like it could be a recipe for disaster, that's because it completely is. Here's Winston. The people who had put the Hayride on always used the same formula. First act, second act. If you did good in the first half, you get to play again in the second half. And so they stuck to their guns the way they had always done it. And they put on a radio show with two parts, a, a segment and a B segment. And they didn't bother to, for whatever reason, just stop and say, you know, this is a revolution. This is like a whole new horizon in American culture and entertainment. Maybe we should tweak what we're doing. They just did it exactly the same way, which means Elvis was going to perform at the end of the first act. And, of course, he was the headliner. Everybody knows nowadays, if you have a arena rock concert, the headliner, of course, goes last. But in the radio uh, format, it's specifically the Louisiana Hayride format, they're going to put Elvis right at the end of the first act. Elvis's half-hour set that night was insane. I would play it for you, but I don't want to get sued. In recordings, it sounds like all hell breaks loose, from the moment that Presley steps on stage. This truly was the first arena rock concert before there were arena rock concerts. The acoustics weren't up to par. The equipment wasn't up to par. There was nothing up to par about that night for what that night was. So you get this just comically calamitous event. Uh, it was a cacophony of sound, um, it was you couldn't hear music. You could just hear screaming girls, and and so then of course this the the uh, the climax of the show happens in the middle, which of course now we know simply does not work. The bedlam didn't end when Elvis left the stage. It kind of got much worse. The hayride announcers struggled to keep things under control. Here's Winston on the five words that became immortal that crazy night at Hirsch Coliseum. You know, one time I was watching television late one night and the movie independence day came on and during one scene where will smith is battling aliens he proclaims elvis has left the building and i remember thinking when i heard that i, I said how many times have we heard that phrase in the um, you know american felt uh, television and film how many times have we heard that phrase elvis has left the building it has ultimately come to mean the party's over you know, go home, it's done, Elvis has left. There's nothing left going on here. But if you examine what really happened that night at the Hirsch Coliseum, it's a little bit different meaning, which I think has gotten lost over the years. But you remember earlier I said that, that Elvis performed in the middle of the hayride. And he got done, and he walks off stage, and is escorted immediately out the back of the building into a waiting car. And the, the, the 9,000 screaming girls that were there to see Elvis and hear Elvis, they did not care about the rest of the hayride. 
And I gotta say, I don't even know who performed after Elvis, but that has to be the worst slot ever given to a musician. Can you imagine following Elvis um, at one of his earliest rock concerts? Like, that's a horrible, horrible time slot. But those girls that were there to hear Elvis really didn't care who came after Elvis. And they start pouring out of the building. They start pouring out of the building. And Horace Logan, who was emceeing the event and trying to keep things somewhat normal, sees these girls pouring out of... They're leaving. They're just just—they're going out the door to go find Elvis. He sees his audience leaving, which is any, any uh, person who's ever organized an event, that's their worst nightmare, to see the crowd leaving in the middle. And so he was imploring them to stay when he uttered the phrase, Elvis has left the building. And But the truth, which we've learned to come over the years, is, in fact, when Elvis left the building that night, the show essentially was over. And so over the years, the American lexicon, American uh, culture, I guess even internationally, honestly, is that phrase has become to mean the show's over. I think it's really cool that it's that insane night the night that gave birth to Elvis has left the building, the night that freed Elvis to star in films and go to Vegas and tour the U.S., that's the night that paid for the swimming pool at Camp Forbing. We'll learn more about the past, present, and the very, very interesting future of the Elvis Presley pool after this message. So I'm out walking my dog around the neighborhood, around Shreve Island, and thinking about that winter storm uh, that we had at the beginning of this year and how lucky I am that I didn't get hit harder. If I had gotten hit harder, though, I know who I would have called. If I'd had some sort of disaster or a pipe burst, I would have called my friend Put- Putman's company, Putman Restoration. They're one of our sponsors, and I asked Putt recently why it's important uh, for everyone on his team to have a sense of urgency when they're responding to calls. Putman Restoration, to me, is a team that comes and saves the day at a moment's notice. We really pride ourselves in responding, whether that be in Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida. We've worked in all these areas, or here at home. Uh, we're coming. We, we've got a team that really loves to serve and to really help our community and people that need us. And that's not something you can plan on when it's happening or you know it's the most unexpected thing that happens to people whether it be a fire or a sudden pipe burst uh, in a commercial building or in their home to us we pride ourselves in coming running and providing you with knowledge and we know the steps and we want you to relax and let us get you back to normal as soon as possible You can learn more about Putman Restoration at P-U-T-M-A-N Restoration.com. They're a great company, and I appreciate them sponsoring Grassroots Independent Media in Shreveport, Louisiana. The swimming pool that got Elvis out of Shreveport was constructed in April of 1957 at a cost of $16,500. In photos, the pool looks kind of small uh, by modern standards. It looks like a pool at a Holiday Inn Express. Near the pool, someone erected a handmade wooden sign that proudly read Elvis Presley's Swimming Pool. 
As thanks for helping pay for the new facility, the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana sent Elvis a plaque commemorating the opening of the pool. And you can actually see that plaque hanging in a public space at Graceland to this day. When I began work on this episode, I thought it would be kind of a sarcastic take on the loss of a truly unique Shreveport landmark. I mean, what other city can say, hey, Elvis Presley bought us a swimming pool? I thought that Camp Forbing was gone for good, and I thought that to see any trace of the Elvis pool to experience that history, you'd, you'd need a jackhammer and the keys to the dining room of the CC's Coffee on Ellerby Road. And I'm delighted, no one could be happier, to report that I was wrong in my cynicism. On Thursday, June 3rd, the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana announced that, thanks to an anonymous financial gift, they will be constructing a new facility at Forbing Marketplace. The new facility will include two sports fields, 30 to 40,000 square feet of programmable space, and you guessed it, a swimming pool. And the Elvis Presley swimming pool sign will be displayed there. Here's Gary Lash, CEO of the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana, on the return of Camp Forbing. It's special, and because we've been there since 1940 in that region, and I had mentioned some we want to keep the legacy going. They think we're going to build another camp. But no, it's going to be a full-service facility with ball fields and all that stuff. But we kept a placeholder there, kept about 20 acres, because I always wanted to stay in that area of town. And the history is so rich there for the why. That's another reason that we want to. That, that place was a camp since 1900. That it was a Sunday, it was Louisiana Sunday School Association, and people would come to Shreveport, ride a train to Forbing, and because there was a there was still a part of the depot or the platform they would offload, and stay at Forbing for these week long prayer meetings, I guess. Well, I'm excited too about this whole thing in the history because my wife and I's first date was to an Elvis concert. I have no idea who made the sign. I'm sure, uh, probably. The guy that was a director then, you know, at the time, maybe. But it, that sign, sign hung on the fence of the only Elvis Presley pool in the universe. It's funny, when when I became the director, I would get a call every once in a while that there would be a fan club from Germany or England or wherever that wanted to come see the pool. Had no idea anybody even knew about it. But I've taken, I bet, 15, 20 groups to see the Elvis pool, you know, from Germany, there was one from Japan, there was one from England, I mean, just all over the place. Amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah I didn't either. I don't know how they found out about it. I don't know how anybody knew about it. Unless they had gone to Graceland and saw that plaque and then wanted to come to Shreveport to see the pool. Because there's groups that came in to see George, I mean, uh, to see uh, Burton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, James Burton. James Burton. And he would call me and say, hey, can they come see the pool? I said, come on, bring them out here. You know? <laughs> Yeah. Incredible! What a what a wild yeah. and wacky town we live in. It is. It's incredible. You know, there's been some some great things to happen, and we want to bring back that enthusiasm for our community. You know, so as soon as I heard the news, I had to get Winston's take, and of course, he nailed exactly what matters about Camp Forbing and the Elvis Presley pool sign. As silly as it sounds, it does matter. Holly Schreiber is the co-owner of a beautiful wedding venue in Benton, Louisiana called St. Terre, and they're a sponsor of this podcast. Holly essentially helps plan and organize and hosts a wedding every week of her life. So I figured someone who's seen hundreds of weddings and, and, and been part of hundreds of weddings could share just a tidbit of helpful advice that would help a bride and groom make it through their wedding day with a little less stress. 
Here's what she had to say. Um, one thing that across the board, no matter what venue you're getting married at, is your photographer, when they arrive, is going to start by taking detailed pictures. So they're going to want to take pictures of your invitations and your rings, your ring boxes, if you have your vows written. So, you know, one of our tips is always to have all of that packed together or assign that to your maid of honor or your mom to get all of that all in one spot so that when your photographer gets there, they can just take it, run off and take all the pictures they need to, and you're not having to search through everyone's bag and all of the disaster that the bridal suite turns into and there's 12 girls in there getting ready. So that's, yeah, that's one of our little tidbits that comes out of the planning process. Learn more about St. Tear at St. S-A-I-N-T-E, Tear, T-E-R-R-E dot com. You know, Shreveport's music history is just chock full of what I call wait what moments. And that's when you hear a nugget of information or a piece of trivia about Shreveport's music history and you say, wait, what? And this pool that was at the YMCA is definitely one of those wait what nuggets of information. It's it's just so random that it has to be true. You know, you couldn't if you were going to make up a story about Elvis and his influence in Shreveport, you wouldn't say, "Oh, he 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 paid for the pool at the YMCA, which is now under a grocery store." And so the 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 appeal of this. Uh, this pool and the, the legend behind it is because it's one of the better, wait, what things that we have in Shreveport's music history. I, I, I think that this, keeping this plaque, the original plaque that tells the story, keeping it kind of where it can be seen in the forefront of the conversation is a really beautiful and simple way to initiate the conversation that leaves people saying, wait, what? Because as a storyteller and a musician, what I love about things like this pool is it kicks open the door for the rest of the rest of the history to be told. Thanks for listening to episode three of Once Upon a Time in Shreveport. If you want to drop me a line, tell me what you think about the show, call me an idiot, anything you like, I'm at chrisj318 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social media or even better, tell someone you love about it over dinner. Look across the table and deeply into their beautiful eyes. Um, Push back a loose bang of their hair behind their ear and say baby i heard the best podcast today don't forget you can find lots of show notes pictures and stuff like that at allyallblog.com i'd like to thank winston hall for joining me for this episode you can find more from winston at winstonhallmusic.com or on facebook if you'd like to hear the incredibly entertaining story of how he became a professional piano entertainer just google search winston hall little black dots That story was produced by the All Y'all Podcast back in 2017, and it's funny. It's really funny and inspiring, um, just like Winston. Again, the story's called Winston Hall, Little Black Dots. I need to say a thank you to Jeffrey Goodman for making the wonderful interview uh, with uh, Gary Lash from the YMCA happen. 
that photograph of him with the Elvis pool sign. You've got to go see it on the website, allyallblog.com. Our music is by the Brothers Treme. The swimming Elvis artwork that you may have seen with this episode is by Nathan Treme. And I want to thank um, the intriguing Sarah Hebert for her graphic design genius. If you'd like to send me a few bucks for the work that went into this episode, that would be dandy. You can tip me at paypal.me slash all y'all, or you can look me up on Venmo where I'm Christopher J. Just look for the bookish dude in the Montgomery Biscuits baseball cap. That's me. Our next episode is probably the deepest cut of the season, but I hope you'll bear with me. It's the story of a mysterious tiny chapel deep in the woods of DeSoto Parish, just outside of Shreveport, called Rock Chapel. It's a strange and fascinating story that involves a group of monks called the Carmelite Order. They built a monastery in DeSoto Parish in the late 19th century and eventually uh, went to war with the locals. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, I'll be digging through piles of records at the Thrifty Peanut on Uri Drive. This has been a production of All Y'all Media, LLC.